Hello and welcome back to Hallowed Histories with another ghost story for Christmas. And this time it's the turn of Shane Brown. Shane Brown lives in Norwich and wrote his PhD about male queerness in film up to 1934. He's the author of several novels, including The Pied Piper, a ghost story set in North Norfolk in 1943, and The Successor, a reimagining of the picture of Dorian Gray, also set in Norwich, this time in the year 2000. Shane has also written scholarly articles with subjects ranging from silent film through to the books of Agatha Christie. And today he's going to be reading his own story, Breaking Up is Hard to Do. Breaking Up is Hard to Do by Shane Brown The text message came at 11.43am. It was exactly the same time as the year before and the year before that. Clara was, if nothing else, a creature of habit. I had taken the phone out of my pocket that morning when I got to work and placed it face down on the desk so that the screen couldn't be seen, as if that would somehow prevent the inevitable from happening. I should have known better. After all, nothing had stopped the annual text before, and I had tried everything. My mobile number had been changed often, and yet Clara had still managed to reach me. One year I buried my phone in the garden, and yet the next morning on the bus it vibrated in my jacket pocket, where it most definitely had not been when I had left the house for work. It was covered in mud. A few years ago I had decided to go to London for the weekend to try and ignore December the 21st. My theory had been that if I wasn't in Norwich, then the yearly ritual could not take place. Walking along Tower Bridge early in the morning, I had thrown my phone as far as I could into the Thames. An hour later, when I had got back to my travel lodge room, it sat there on the pillow, soaked, smelling of the river and yet still working. It seemed that nothing could stop the text from coming, or the horrible events that would happen later in the day. I watched as the phone vibrated its way along my desk. What would really happen if I just ignored it? I mean, really ignored it, no matter how many times the phone found its way back to me. Surely that would be the most sensible thing to do. It had been over 20 years. Was this haunting, and there is no other word that I can think of for it, really going to continue until the day I died? I turned the phone over and looked down at the screen. Hello, darling, it said. I'm back in Norwich now. Let's meet at the Turtle at eight. Love you lots, Clara. The same as always. The same as it had been 22 years earlier when Clara was still very much alive, when these events were playing out for just the first time. The Turtle had been a public house in the centre of Norwich that was popular with students. But that had been a long time ago. It was gone now. It had gone through various name changes since then, hardly surprising given that the turtle had always seemed like a stupid name for a pub. It had become the black cat, then the goat's head, and finally the somewhat more mundane queen's head. Now it wasn't a pub at all, but a shop that sold those insufferable smelly candles and smelly soaps. Despite everything, at 8pm when I went to meet Clara, if I went to meet Clara, it would once again be the Turtle Pub. The bar staff and even the drinks prices would be the same as they were in 1998. I would recognise some of the people there, students I had gone to university with all those years ago. 
they would be the same age as they were then and wearing the same clothes and with the same haircuts. And Clara would be there too. She would be sitting at the table closest to the roaring log fire. The conversation would continue and then she would ask for a lift home. Everything would play out as before and then I would wake up in my bed at 7am on December the 22nd and it would all be over for another year, just like it had been a dream. But looking down at the phone on my desk, I made the decision that this year would be different. I wasn't going to meet the young woman that had been killed when I crashed the car after drinking too much at the Turtle. That had been a terrible thing, a stupid thing, a wrong thing that I regretted more than anyone could possibly imagine. But I had paid for that. I'd been to prison, and since my release there had been this yearly ritual, and it was time for me to end it. Enough was enough. I picked up the phone and replied to the text. Sorry, I'm not able to make it. No kisses. At last, I had made the first move to finishing this thing. It made me feel better. I got up from my chair, walked out of my office and went into the gents. I threw the phone at the tiled wall and then picked it up from the floor and did it again. It was still working and so it then got smashed down repeatedly onto the rim of one of the sinks. When it finally fell on the floor in several pieces, I went over and stamped on it repeatedly. It felt good. I leaned against the wall and took a deep breath just as one of the cubicle doors opened. I smiled meekly at Marcus who worked in the office next door to me. I hadn't even bothered to check if I was alone in there. You hoping for a new phone for Christmas then, mate, he joked as he washed his hands. Something like that, I replied. He walked out of the door, no doubt bemused by my actions. I gathered together the various pieces of the phone and dropped some into each of the three toilets and then flushed. This was it, the year this appalling ritual would come to an end. I took a couple of minutes to calm down and then went back to my office. The phone was back on my desk, soaking wet but whole again. A text message read, Don't be silly, of course you'll come. See you tonight. Kiss, kiss. The fog had begun to descend again. It was always foggy when I went to meet Clara, but normally just for an hour or so as I walked to the pub that was no longer there. This year the fog was real. It had descended on the streets of Norwich a few days earlier and had stubbornly stayed there ever since. It would lift for maybe a couple of hours each day as the weak winter sun attempted to burn through it. It was a valiant effort, but the fog always returned shortly after it had lifted. My hatred of the fog had started when I was a kid. It had always given me the creeps back then, but I never knew why. There was always that feeling that there could be something unseen and unpleasant about to grab at me at any moment. That feeling had not gone away as I got older, especially since it had been foggy on the night of the accident and for every date with Clara on December the 21st since. I had decided not to take a lunch hour, at least that way I could get home early instead. Not much work would get done anyway with just a few days to Christmas. I spent the afternoon thinking about what was going to happen that evening. Would I go to the Turtle and see Clara, or have the guts to stay at home instead, not knowing what would happen if I did? I had never taken that option before. Even when I was in London for the weekend, that year when my phone ended up in the Thames, 
I had bottled it and hurried home on the train so that I could get to the pub in time. Eventually the decision was made. I would go to the turtle, meet Clara and tell her that this had to stop. Could you reason with a ghost? Perhaps even ask for forgiveness? I decided that it was time to try. On getting home from work, I forced myself to eat a sandwich and have a cup of tea, and then I lied down for half an hour or so, preparing myself for what was to come. After changing my clothes, I left home at 7.30. My aim was to scurry along the foggy streets of Norwich and get to the pub as quickly as possible. As always, the fog played tricks on me. The strange acoustics of the weather meant that it was impossible to tell if the footsteps that I heard echoing around me were mine or if they were someone following me. More than a few times I had turned around and peered into the greyness behind me, hoping that there would be nothing or no one waiting for me. There was a certain irony to my fear of the fog, for in my spare time I wrote ghost stories. My name was not known by the public at large, but many had heard my work as I was a regular contributor to Mystery at Midnight, a radio series of 15-minute mystery and supernatural tales that had been running every weeknight for nearly 40 years. Audience numbers were much smaller now than they used to be, but when the BBC had made public its plan to axe the series, there was an outcry led by a popular tabloid that ran a Mercy for Mystery at Midnight campaign. The BBC's decision was overturned, which helped me somewhat, for each of my stories that were broadcast resulted in a very welcome, if undeniably modest, payment into my bank account. During the campaign to save the series, I had once been referred to by a journalist as the M.R. James of our generation, which pleased me somewhat, even if I knew deep down that I was nothing of the sort. And even if the title had been true, it didn't help much. It was the office job that paid the bills, not my literary efforts. With trepidation, I turned into the small street that housed the candle and soap shop that had once been the Turtle Pub. While I was hoping to see the shop that was really there, I also realised that there was little chance of that. It had never happened in previous years. Peering through the fog as I approached, the lights coming from inside the pub soon became visible. I stood still for a moment, readying myself for what was to follow. My aim was to go inside, find Clara, tell her it was over, and then leave as soon as possible. It was hot and sweaty inside the pub, just as it had been the first time these events had occurred, and every year since. There were more people than was normal for the turtle, but that was only to be expected just a few days before Christmas. Looking around, I recognised several faces. They were people who, like me, had thought the best thing to do during the Christmas vacation of their final year at university was to stay in Norwich rather than travel home. Essays had to be written, dissertations had to be started, and revision for the January exams was also on people's minds. A couple of fellow students waved at me, or nodded in acknowledgement. I waved or nodded back, forcing a smile, although doing so seemed ridiculous as they were not really there. Like me, in real life they were not 21 any longer, but that wasn't the case in the pub. As could easily be seen on Facebook, most of the people there now had receding hairlines, or were about three or four stone heavier. In some cases, both. You want the usual then, the barman asked me. Not tonight, thanks, I replied. I'm not stopping. 
Clara was in her usual place by the fire, the most uncomfortable table in the pub during the winter, and yet she had always sat there when we had gone to the turtle for a drink. I hated that spot, for my face would always feel like it was burning after a short while there. Clara was wearing the same clothes that she had the first time. Her hairstyle was the same too. Nothing had changed. Nothing ever did. I thought you were never coming over, Clara said to me when I went over to her. I thought you were just going to stay at the bar all night. You can stop the pretense, Clara, I stammered. I'm not staying here tonight. I'm not going to do this ever again. This is over. Clara looked hurt. You're breaking up with me. Three days before Christmas, she said. What has got into you? Have I done something wrong? Clara, you're dead. Are you threatening me? Clara asked, standing up. Why would you say a thing like that? I'm not threatening you. I'm telling you. Don't you even know? Know what? What are you talking about? Clara, you are dead. I said the words just as whatever song was playing ended, and they came out louder than I had planned. Half the pub heard me and the crowd went quiet. Clara sat down again, trying to hide the smile that was on her lips. Nobody else could see it, but I knew it was there. She was enjoying herself. Jack, a fellow student back in the day, walked over to me. Everything all right? he asked. Everything's fine, I said, trying not to look at the younger version of my former friend. Perhaps you should go home, Jack said, trying to be Clara's knight in shining armour. Perhaps you've had too much to drink, eh? I thought for a moment and then nodded. Yes, it was time for me to go home and put this behind me for good. Perhaps breaking up with Clara was what I should have done before. If I broke up with her, she wouldn't get in my car and then she wouldn't die. Hang on a moment. Was that right? That I could possibly change history? Instead of haunting me, had Clara really been giving me the chance to do things differently each year? Surely it wouldn't be that easy. Yes, I said, I'll go home. Had a bit too much in the uni bar, I think. Goodbye, Clara. I put my hand on Jack's shoulder, forced a smile at Clara, and then turned around and started walking towards the door. At that point, whatever song was playing through the speakers at that moment abruptly stopped, and in its place came an old rock and roll love song. Don't take your love away from me. Don't you leave my heart in misery. If you go, then I'll be blue, cause breaking up is hard to do. It had been a sing-along classic for 60 years, but right then those lyrics seemed like a threat. There was no doubt in my mind that Clara had caused the track to play at that precise moment, and much louder than the previous songs to make sure I heard it. I turned around once more to look at her. She was laughing with Jack, perhaps laughing about me. She saw me turn and winked. She knew that her message had been received. Walking away and moving on was going to be far harder than I thought. She would make sure of that. I went outside, pulling the door shut behind me. Walking away, I knew instinctively that the pub was no longer there and was back to being the shop that it was now. Was that a good thing or bad? It certainly meant there was no turning back, no way of going back in and making up with Clara. My decision had been made now and I had to live with it. 
Oddly, I didn't feel particularly frightened by what had happened. I had, after all, gone through meeting Clara every year since I had been released from prison. Even walking through the fog on my way home didn't unnerve me. When I got home, I went straight into the lounge and poured myself a stiff drink, and then another. I went into the kitchen to make myself a hot drink and found that my phone was on the bench beside the kettle. I didn't remember putting it there. In fact, I was sure it should still have been in my coat pocket. My stomach churned when I saw that there was a message. Are you sure you really want to end this, it read. I texted back, yes, sorry. With that, the smart speaker that sat on top of the fridge lit up and started playing the same song that I had heard in the pub as I was leaving. I shouted, Alexa, stop. It kept playing. I tried again, Alexa, stop. I'm sorry, I don't know how to do that. It was Clara's voice coming from the speaker. The song didn't stop playing, and I knew from experience with my phone that breaking or smashing the speaker would not help, and so I picked it up, went out of the back door, and placed it in the shed at the bottom of the garden. I knew it couldn't get loud enough to be heard in the house, but I was naive to think that something so simple would end everything. When I went back in the house, the same song was playing through the TV speakers. I quickly turned it off and unplugged it. This was the point when I began to believe that I had made a mistake. I might have walked out on Clara in the pub, but now she had followed me home and this had not happened before. Having poured myself a third drink, I sat down in the armchair. I closed my eyes, hoping that I would doze off to sleep and then awaken the next day when everything would be over. After a few minutes, I felt myself drifting off. But at that point, the TV switched back on. I was awake instantly. The local news was playing, but the newsreader on the television had not appeared on our screens for at least the previous 15 years. In the top right-hand corner of the screen was a picture of Clara. She was smiling and looking beautiful. I remembered that photo being taken at a party we had gone to about a year before she died. Clara always loved to party, and in many ways, parties loved Clara. She knew how to let her hair down without getting rowdy or overly drunk. She was always the perfect guest. The newsreader said, The police are appealing for witnesses after the A47 just outside Thorpe St Andrew was closed for several hours last night, following an accident which left one person dead and another in hospital. The dead woman has been named as 20-year-old Clara Gaskill, a student at the University of East Anglia. I swear that as the story ended, the photo of Clara changed. She moved so that she was staring right at me, and then the expression changed too so that she was giving that strange, knowing smile that I had seen before I left the pub. The television turned itself off, and the house became totally quiet. I sat still, not daring to move. Nothing happened. Not a sound could be heard. For a moment, I thought that if I moved, it would somehow trigger something else to happen. Eventually, I got up from my chair and went over to the window. Pulling the curtains aside slightly, I looked out. The fog seemed to be denser than ever. It wasn't even possible to see the street lamp that was only a few metres away. I began to feel claustrophobic, even trapped. I had the fear that Clara would appear at any moment and that I would have nowhere to run, if indeed running was likely to do me any good. There was, it seemed to me at the time, an inevitability about what was happening. I closed the curtains again, 
making sure that there were no gaps through which I would be able to see something moving outside. Sitting back down, I realized that I had one thing left to try. I couldn't go back to the turtle to try to reverse my decision on walking out on Clara, but perhaps I could contact her in the same way she contacted me. I took my mobile phone out of my trouser pocket and replied to Clara's last text. My hands trembled as I typed. I'm sorry, Clara. I don't know what I was thinking. Are you still at the turtle? I could come back. I put the phone down on the table and started pacing up and down the room. Had I done the right thing? Those moments after I had sent the text seemed to last forever. My feeling of being trapped continued to grow, and my mind seemed to start working overtime. What if she didn't reply? What if she did? Would I have to go out into the fog again and meet her at the turtle? Would the night still be able to play out as it always did? That was something I'd been desperately trying to avoid earlier in the day, and yet now it seemed like something that would be the best possible outcome. At least I knew how that ended. The phone buzzed and vibrated, and I picked it up and read the message on the screen. Yes, I'm still here. I thought you might change your mind. Bring the car and you can drive me home. I knew that I couldn't do that, not after the amount I had drunk since I had got home. There wouldn't be an accident taking Clara back home this time. Instead, it would be before I even got to the pub. I can't drive you home, I texted back. I've been drinking. It never stopped you before. Perhaps it should have done, I wrote. I waited to see what Clara's next move might be. Don't worry, the next text read. I'll come to the house instead. I put the phone back in my pocket. Now I had to wait for her to arrive. If I had lived on a main road, I would have run out of the house and flagged down a taxi, telling them to just keep driving until morning. I didn't want Clara in my house. If she came there, I wondered if she would ever leave. My house had never been remotely involved in the hauntings up until now. Would I even want to live there afterwards? I would be afraid that Clara was going to appear at any moment. These were all questions I would have to answer later. My main aim was merely to get through the night. This was uncharted territory and my mind was racing. At one moment I felt certain that I would not even be alive to see tomorrow, that Clara would make sure of that. And a moment later I was convincing myself that everything would be just fine in the end. After all, if Clara wanted me dead, she'd had plenty of opportunities to make that happen. And yet, no matter how frightening and disturbing the annual event could be, I had never come to physical harm. All of these things kept going round and around in my head. I kept as quiet as I could, in the hope that I would hear something to give me a warning that Clara was there. But there was nothing. Despite not living in a busy area, most nights you would at least hear a car drive past, or perhaps one of the other people on the street coming home from their night out. Tonight, there was not a sound. Perhaps everyone had stayed in because of the fog, but it was only a few days to Christmas, and so that did seem unlikely. Finally, I heard footsteps coming towards the house. They sounded louder than normal. The fog was playing its acoustic tricks again. I prepared myself for them to come up to the footpath to my house. But they didn't. They went straight past and continued further up the road. A false alarm. I breathed a sigh of relief. 
But at that moment, the radio burst into life. An announcer said, A reminder that tonight's mystery at midnight will be Breaking Up is Hard to Do, written by Leonard Elder and read by the author. This is at midnight tonight, here on Radio 4. But I had never written a story with that title. And I'd never read my stories on air, either. The guest narrators were part of the appeal of the series. The radio started to skip between stations. Bits of songs would play here and there, and then there would be a few seconds of commentary on a football match, and then something from a news broadcast. Finally, it went silent. I breathed a sigh of relief, only for the radio to then come back on, this time at full volume, playing again, breaking up is hard to do. I went over to it quickly and turned it off, and was surprised when the radio actually went quiet. I didn't know what to do. I was beginning to feel oddly disoriented and hot. I felt sweat start trickling down my face and I could feel that the back of my shirt was wet through sweat as well. I assumed that it was a panic attack. Having one at that moment would hardly have been unexpected. And while I didn't suffer from them frequently, I did have them from time to time. Perhaps the three drinks I'd had wasn't helping things either. I tried to do some breathing exercises I needed to open a window or a door and get some fresh air in. I knew from the past that that might help. But that was the last thing I wanted to do at that point, knowing that Clara was on her way. I went into the kitchen and ran the cold tap, splashing the water over my face to try and cool me down, but it didn't help. The room had started to spin and I was beginning to get unsteady on my feet. I felt that I needed to sit down or maybe, maybe even call for an ambulance. I stumbled into the hallway and was about to go back into the living room when there were three loud knocks at the front door. I froze. There was no doubt in my mind who or what it was, but I just wanted to get things over with. I found myself falling towards the front door and unlocked it while the room still spun around me. And then as I pulled the door open, I felt the most tremendous pain in my chest. My knees buckled and I fell to the floor. And then, darkness. I opened my eyes to see a nurse looking down at me. Mr. Elder, she asked. I nodded. That's good. How are you feeling? I ran my tongue over my lips. Water, I muttered. Just a little, the nurse said. She picked up a glass of water from the table beside my bed and I took a few sips. Not too much. I nodded. What happened? You had a heart attack. You were brought in at about 10 o'clock last night. You were awake, but you may not remember anything. I shook my head. I remembered nothing after the pain in my chest when I was opening the front door. I had never for a minute thought that I might be having a heart attack. You may remember later, the nurse said. But you're going to be fine. You were lucky that someone saw it happen and called the ambulance for you. Clara? I asked. The nurse must have wondered why I looked so scared when I spoke the name. Is that your wife, girlfriend? I shook my head. No, the nurse said. It was a pizza delivery man. He knocked on your door as he saw the light on and he couldn't find the address he was looking for due to the fog. He thought you might be able to help. I wonder if this fog will ever lift, but at least you can't see it from the ward. I couldn't believe it. I was alive. I had got through the night after all. 
At that moment, a man walked into the room with a few others following him. Ah, said the nurse, that's Dr. Renault on his rounds. He'll be over here in a few minutes. He's got some students with him, but don't worry about them. It's just part of their training. I smiled. Thank you, I said. The nurse walked away and I closed my eyes. I must have drifted back to sleep, for when I opened them again, the doctor was pulling the curtain around the bed. Mr. Elder, isn't it? You had a heart attack last night. Nothing too severe, I'm pleased to say. These are uh, student doctors. I I hope that's all right with you. Of course, I said, I don't mind them being here with you. It was true. I remember thinking at that point that as long as I was going to get better, I didn't care who was gathered around my bed when the doctor did his rounds. But I regretted thinking that a few seconds later, when another slipped in behind the student doctors and closed the curtains behind her. She turned around and smiled at me. There was one person I didn't want at my bedside, and she was staring right at me. The Hallowed Histories podcast was hosted by me, Richard Shepherd. Find out more about us at hallowed-histories.org or write to us at hallowedhistories at gmail.com. Also, why not check out our YouTube channel and our social media on Instagram. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>